At the bleak edge of the mighty Etonian Empire, a city rises from the moors, Newgate, the guardian of the northern frontier. Ruled by its noble cast of tieflings and protected by a highly trained and fiercely loyal mercenary company of hobgoblins, Newgate's unconquerable walls have stood for centuries. Recently, however, the city has become home to a swelling population of refugees from across the known world, driven to find shelter in the uncaring arms of the Etonians after being displaced by the ongoing War of the Empires, waged between the merchant wealth of the Etonians, the massive bureaucracy of the Etians, the teeming plain cities of the Menteshi, and the rebellious Seven Nations. Already victims of the horrors of war, the refugees packing the outer neighborhoods of Newgate have found themselves victims of a new pair of remorseless predators, crime and hatred. Prostitution, illegal brewing, and gambling run rampant in the sparsely policed refugee neighborhoods, and local gangs have risen to battle over the profits and buy for the favor of aristocratic sponsors within the noble families of Newgate. The human gangs have become the most relentless of all, seeking to dominate and exploit their non-human neighbors. Your party consists of recent refugees stranded in this violent place. You have banded together to protect yourselves and your families from the human onslaught. Your foes are about to discover that, although you aren't human, this sleepy Newgate town is just the place for a street fighting man. Welcome to Dungeons and Decisions, a Displaced Beast production. As an interesting window into the character generating process, we decided to create a new campaign and to let you, the folks at home, follow along. So without further ado, let's move on to the introductions. So Chad. Hi, I'm Chad. I'm from the city of Columbus, and I like alliterations. Hi, I'm Mark. Um, I have no fancy alliterations. Uh, full disclosure, uh, this whole like doing a character class episode is something that that I've pushed for, and uh, we tried to come up with a novel way to do it. Um, and thanks to Mike, we did. So uh, kudos to Mike. Hi, I'm Mike, and I make mistakes. But in my own mind, I've got a theme band running in the background. And I'm Al, and I will be your, well, I guess, MC for this evening. Uh, and because be our cruise director? Yes, I'm Julie. You're all screwed. And I will be acting as, uh, again, as the forever DM for this new game that we are setting up. And again, letting you, the folks at home, witness. So the basics of the setup. You've heard the basics of the campaign world in my overly dramatic introduction. So here are the basics of character generation that we're going to be talking about. First of all, everyone's starting at first level. So everything's going to be nice and simple. The player characters can be anything non-human uh, to play along with the uh, prejudice uh, theme that's going to be very important in the campaign. Uh, well, the humans are the bad guys, again. So anything non-human are the good guys at this point. And anything from the official books or from later Unearthed Arcana is totally all right. We each decided to create two characters uh, for this new world, and I also created some PCs as well, just so uh, we'd kind of get a feel for what I would play if I were actually playing. 
And uh, we did these with the standard stat array, for those of you who watched our first episode or listened to our first episode, standard array of stats. Uh, this is also a monotheistic world. So anybody who is dealing with a uh, religious uh, character, uh, instead of gods, we're talking about saints in this case uh, due to some uh, interesting facets of this particular campaign world. So now we are going to go around the horn and talk about the characters we created. So Chad, if you'll get us started. Sure. Welcome to Character Concept Creation with Chad. I'm Chad. Uh. <laughs> Let's see if I can share my screen uh, for the first one. And there we go. <clears throat> I'll leave it up for a little bit. So my goblin character, his race is goblin, and right now his name is goblin. Uh, so very creative to go off on the beginning. Uh, with Al's introduction, I was kind of looking for a character. Uh, he was kind of like a young teen kind of in a gang, so I was kind of thinking more of like an urchin or a thief's guild. And I thought it might be kind of fun having a character that kind of grew up in the sewers. Uh, so that kind of evolved itself into a goblin uh, kind of character that was kind of living off the rats. And I was looking for a class, and I came across Druid, uh, Circle of Spores. And the thing is, unlike a uh, normal Druid where they worship like the trees and the animals, this one worships mold and spores and all the underground things. And I thought that would kind of play a nice synergy between the two kind of uh, concepts I was coming up with. Uh, but let's go into the stats. So with the 15, 14, 13, is that right? 12, 10, 8? Yeah. Uh, I was looking at putting in uh, the highest one into wisdom, which was a 15 because he's, it's a druid. Uh, for the constitution, or I should say for the dexterity, uh, it was a 14, but it gets plus 2 because he was a goblin for his racial class. Uh, and then we kind of go down the line with constitution of 14. Charisma 12, I wanted him to actually be kind of like a lovable, friendly little goblin um, who's pretty much more innocent babe in the woods kind of thing than, you know, some kind of sneaky, um, you know, my precious kind of creature. Um, and then, but I put eight intelligence in, into him. So, you know, he basically speaks in uh, first person, you know, goblin hungry. Uh, I looked at uh, a couple different things that I thought kind of defined who he was. Uh, one of them being, you know, he always has food on hand and he's always eating his food, uh, which ties in with one of his cantrips for healing was the good berry. So, because food is always good. Uh, and then uh, I found another little spell. It was called uh, Cantrip of Primal Savagery. Uh, and that, like, his teeth get bigger and his fangs, you know, and his claws get bigger. And so when he does need to fight, he just kind of wolfs out. Uh, which, and then when he gets into higher, higher levels, then he can actually wolf out or, or turn into a rat. Um, and I thought this would tie in kind of meeting with the other characters. Is maybe he kind of lived in the sewers. And then as more and more people, refugees, kind of came into the cities, that's how he kind of got introduced into this gang as they started coming into his world. Uh, and so his kind of goal is to kind of find a, a, a tribe of where he belongs. So that was my character. And let's stop sharing. There we go. All right. Thanks, Chad. Um, it's my turn next. Um, and uh, so when I was... When I was thinking of a character for this campaign, um, you know, and I guess maybe Al, Al, before I get started, do you want to talk about some of your uh, in, some of your inspiration for this campaign, some of the influences? 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, one of the big influences was uh, uh, the movie version of Gangs of New York. Uh, that's what I have always had in mind is the primary thing. And I actually do have an entire arc planned out for uh, this campaign uh, as far as where it starts and where it ends. Now, it's kind of an income. I guess I shouldn't have called it an entire arc because it's really the beginning and end. I haven't figured out what the actual arc part over top of it, linking the two parts is going to be yet. So you've got an underpants gnome campaign plan. Yes, actually, that's a good way of putting it. I've got the question marks in the middle and then profit at the end. So, yeah. Um, though that said, uh, some of my other influences, uh, the I've been playing an awful lot of uh, the video game version of uh, Games Workshop's classic board game, uh, More Time. So that's uh, the urban combat part of that is a big, uh, big influence. And also uh, uh, the Warriors, uh, which has been like a constant uh, uh, role-playing game inspiration for lots of people too. So, uh, and there's gonna be a Warriors themed uh, game. I know that at some point there will be, um, uh, there will be a lot of call outs to the Warriors. And I'm also thinking that a lot of the gangs are gonna be themed like the, like the baseball gang and, and so forth from the Warriors. So they won't be baseball, but we'll come up with something goofy. So when this was all described to me, as well as the, you know, the, the specifics of the campaign that Al addressed in his intro, that my inspiration for this was immediately to think of a character that was kind of a, a street historian, right? That, that this would be a guy who um, was out there, like learning, like all the stories on the street and, uh, and also, you know, kind of a, a diplomatic character as well like because he knows everybody and everything that's going on um he you know kind of make, makes a good peacemaker and and uh a guy that would maybe like go out and make allegiances between gangs or something like that so that was kind of the character that i had in mind um and then i thought about some various classes uh that might kind of go well with that role and and bard was what i immediately came up with right um there may be a couple of others that might work well, uh, you know, cleric or paladin, perhaps. Um, but I like, you know, I like the idea of this guy being a bard, and I think it matches well with the kind of role I, I had for him. So uh, after that, I, I had to think about what type of, uh, um, you know, how he's, how he's going to inspire his comrades. What type of artist is a bard? Because all bards have some art form or other that they will use for inspiration. And so, um, you know, based on Al's kind of ideas, I, I thought about, you know, a time in, in American history uh, where, you know, gang life started to get eclipsed by a particular art form, uh, kind of the hip hop culture, right? And so, I decided that um, very heavily based on the uh, the uh, Jeff Chang book, uh, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, I, I thought of this bard being like someone who does street art, basically. He's like, a, he does b-boy dancing, and does graffiti, whatever, maybe even like DJs in a way using magic, um, like making, you know, musical loops with a cantrip or something like that. <laughs> um, so, and hopefully this, you know, is not too, 
and doesn't take me too far in the into the depths of cultural appropriation. But I think I have enough good taste to kind of to make it happen without being completely exploitive. Um, uh, so anyway, so that's my idea, right? So so the the character that I come up with, and I'm going to share my screen here. All right, so this is uh, Quintilius Quarterflash, also known as Q. Um, and I made him uh, a half elf because I thought it was a good match uh, both for the class um, and, uh, and also kind of his role as a diplomat. Um, in, in the player's handbook, uh, they talk about half elves being kind of natural peacemakers and diplomats. And, I, um, and uh, so I thought that was a good match. Uh, so, uh, as far as my attributes, I went for high charisma and uh, high dexterity. I also considered him to be skillful and, uh, um, and you know, have that kind of bright spark of creativity. So, I, I invested in intelligence. I'm not sure if that was the right choice, considering it meant a 10 in constitution. So, I'm definitely going to have to keep no, Quintilius, he's, he's not a fighter, right? He's, he's a peacemaker. So he's going to be dodging, dodging uh, arrows and running to the back, I think, a lot. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I, you can see kind of in the personality traits and the ideals and bonds, um, uh, you know, that kind of expresses the idea that I was going for. Um, And then let's see, let me think of some other choices that I made here. Oh yeah, this, this background, I chose the, uh, the guild artisan, um, which uh, I, I wanted him to be, you know, an artist and, and I thought of him maybe as a painter. Um, so he, he uh, probably, you know, paints, paints some, some tags and some graffiti, or maybe he uses cantrips to do that too. Um, and then the other things that I picked were basically my spells. Um, and, uh, you can see that I invested in some illusion stuff, uh, for my cantrips, minor illusion and prestidigitation. And then spells, I kind of went, uh, I didn't want this guy to be a damage dealer. I, I wanted him to be the kind of guy who would use like a non-lethal way of taking out an opponent, which is why I thought of Tasha's Hideous Laughter as a good spell. And it's got some flavor to it too. Um, and then the rest of the stuff I just kind of picked because I think they they would work well for his kind of diplomatic efforts. Um, so so that is Q. Um, his name is kind of both a nod to uh, Quincy Jones and Grandmaster Flash of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Uh, okay, so that's that's my first guy. Mike, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. Um, I think you need to stop sharing your screen. I will stop sharing my screen. All right. So as I was thinking about this, um, again, thinking about refugees, non-humans. Um, so first thing I kind of came up with was, okay, what's going to be the backstory? Why is my character going to be a refugee? Um, and that kind of dovetailed with trying to think of something I haven't played before. And I, I don't think I've ever played an elf character before, or if I did, it was a one-off. So decided I want to play an elf. And then I was thinking, okay, how would, a, how would an elf be in an urban environment as a refugee? I'm thinking, okay, some kind of 
succession wars, noble, you know, on the losing side, gets outcast. Um, so that was kind of the first level of what I was thinking. And then, um, you know, okay, now I'm in an urban environment. Okay, I'm, I'm clearly dead set on revenge for, for whatever bad things happened to my, my family and loved ones. So how am I going to get revenge? Well, okay, I'm going to kill a lot of people. So I thought, okay, um, how about, how about a, a rogue type, you know, uh, and maybe subclass as an assassin later on. Um, so that is, uh, that started the kind of the nucleus. And then this weekend I was watching reaction videos and, um, uh, careless whisper by the band Wham came up. And, um, in particular, um, uh, uh it just, I, I saw, I saw this particular screenshot, um, and it just, everything kind of clicked for me. Um, can you guys see that? Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, real nice, pretty boy with a real dark, uh, dark underlayer. So that image kind of, for me, uh, set the rest of the tone uh, for how I was going to create my character. So um, I decided that, sharing my character screen here, um, that I was going to name my character Careless Whisper. Um, you know, careless as in, as in fearless, not fearing consequences. Whisper, as in uh, assassin, undetected. Um, so, um, so with that, um, I decided that he was going to be um, largely uh, stealth, dexterity based. So uh, I put my highest stat in dexterity with a racial modifier, gave me a couple of extra points, bringing up my dex to seventeen. Um, I wanted to potentially also maybe branch him out into some spell casting, so made my second uh, highest intelligence, which I think I also got a racial bonus for. Um, strength was not going to be his forte, so I put my lowest stat in that. Um, likewise for Khan, um, charisma definitely needed uh, my part of my backstory. I was going to have him be a gigolo, um, so definitely need um, uh, need a decent charisma for that. Uh, again, the pretty boy. And then wisdom 12, because I didn't want him to be a complete, you know, idiot. He's got to have, you know, if you're going to be, you, you want to be fearless, but you don't want to be dead. So um, decided that a, at least a decent wisdom was necessary. Um, chose for um, my main hand weapon, um, you know, dagger or rapier, um, uh, along with a short bow for distance combat. Um, skills decided, again, focused largely on... Um, uh, dexterity based and charisma based skills. So, you know, things like acrobatics, uh, deception, um, intimidation, um, survival, oh, sorry, stealth, um, you know, things that are going to benefit me in trying to uh, both uh, confuse the enemy um, as well as keep me alive. Um, so, uh, and then for my, uh, I get one cantrip right now, so I picked Green Flame Blade, which is an add-on to your melee attack um, that gives you a little bonus to damage and scales as you level. So that was my thoughts in putting together that character. So with that, I'll turn it over to Al. Hang on, Mike. So, oh. so a uh, couple things, quick. Yeah. 
So, like, I, I know you talked about him being an assassin, but he seems, like, really, really set up well to be an arcane yeah. trickster as arcane well. arcane trickster, yeah. So Yeah, so, I could see that really working out for him, too, with the high intelligence and already having one cantrip, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, is that you could see, I like this idea, your concept, because you could see it playing out in a number of different other classes, right? You could mm -hmm. see this guy just as well being uh, a ranger, right? Um just very efficient at killing you know other people or a, like an oath of conquest paladin or maybe just mm -hmm. like a straight up like you know brutish fighter or barbarian i mean an elf barbarian maybe be a little weird but um but yeah but I, I really like the work, idea but... of the complete contrast between you know his public persona which is going to be just this complete you know playboy you know uh you know servile type and then just you know the the Tootsie Roll Center, the Tootsie Pop, um, you know, right. just being this this contract assassin who's, you know, combing for leads um, on who, you know, who was behind his, his family's overthrow. So um, yeah. I kind of like that dichotomy. Yeah, it's cool. I, I, I think uh, it seemed like Rogue was a good path to go, but it's it's cool that you came up with something that I think could work in a, in a lot of different mm -hmm. areas. I mean, you can yeah, so, be a bard, too. Yeah. And ultimately, I just really liked the name. You know. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Al. Go ahead. No problem. All right. So now, really. All right. So uh, the first of my characters is Gunter Cavernborn. Uh, and this was born out of a, uh, out of well, my penchant for playing dwarves and the fact that I love grudge-holding dwarves in particular. So we decided that uh, it would be awesome if I combined the dwarf with the grudge-holding uh, class, which is the Oath of Vengeance Paladin, uh, which is based, incidentally, because I have to do this every episode, based on the Avenger from 4th edition d, &D. Yeah. So that said... So Gunter, I decided to go with a Duogar this time, and uh, he is a paladin. I'm planning on going into the Oath of Vengeance when I actually pick such a thing. Uh, I decided his background would be acolyte. Uh, he is a uh, he is a priest uh, who has been displaced again, like all the other characters. So went with strength as the high stat as is generally a good idea with a paladin. Uh, charisma is next, and then everything else follows in after that. I decided to lowball intelligence in this case because I don't think that uh, quick thinking is really this gonna be this character's forte. Uh, for skills, went with uh, athletics, insight, intimidation, and religion. Uh, the idea being, of course, intimidation is probably going to be his most used uh, skill because, well, you got to make uh, incredibly elaborate threats while you are uh, trying to wreak vengeance on people. So uh, unlike everybody's character so far, uh, he's a heavy as far as armor class is concerned. AC 18 starting off, but of course, because he's a dwarf, speed 25. So the fight's probably going to happen without him most of the time anyway. So uh, as far as personality traits went, 
never let go of a grudge and the guilty must be punished playing into the class. I'm trying to pay off an old debt I owe to a generous benefactor. I haven't quite figured that one out yet. And then I'm incredibly slow to trust and I blow up at the slightest insult. So powder keg time. Uh, as far as everything else, I uh, got a good range of, uh, of languages for him. Uh, basic equipment for the classes and I'm ready to go. I've got the basics of the uh, Paladin's uh, starting abilities over here, combined with uh, what will be awesome at third level, because at that point I get to use enlarge and ruin everybody's day with that. And I went with lawful neutral because I figured he would be not necessarily a follower of the written law, but uh, he will definitely have a code of conduct that he follows and will expect other people to follow it too. So uh, he's kind of going in the tiny direction, I fear to a certain extent, but uh, he also likes cracking heads, so there's that. So at least he'll get along with the other uh, uh, NPCs on that ground. All right, and let me stop sharing here. And Chad, back to you. All right, we're going to do the second half of the uh, character creation, or as I like to say, <laughs> character concept creation continued with chat. Uh, <laughs> Intermittently. <laughs> Intermittently. All right, and then let's do the sharing the full screen. Uh, All right, as you can see by the name, it's Golden Child. Uh, I was looking at kind of, I was trying to think of other kind of uh, what do you call backgrounds for something so for, for uh, more of a the younger preteen kind of thing and Accolade was one of the ones that kind of stuck in my memory and I was thinking of kind of the golden child back in probably the 80s with Eddie Murphy and I wanted somebody who maybe not as wise as that silent child but um, thinks he's this wise benevolent being and hence that's why his wisdom and intelligence are really low but his charisma is like straight up with 17. Um, his, uh, his class, or I should, I should say his race was, uh, Azimar, which is kind of like these holy celestial beings. So he's got like this golden skin and these wings that don't quite work well yet until I think they get higher level. Um, and his whole thing is that he, he wants everyone to get along and they work together and make everything great. And he's really confused by everyone being so cynical and down and kind of just against the world. So... Uh, as one of his traits, I kind of have him seen as being very optimistic, very gullible, uh, and that, you know, if people say, oh, give me, you know, some money and I'll go help the poor, he'll give all the money, you know, to help them. And uh, his, his, uh, with, with Alice talking about kind of the past of uh, the church being more of the saints, I thought maybe he had one of these priests that kind of raised him as an acolyte when he was born and, and, and kind of force fed him into the stuff that you're, you know, you're the divine, you're the golden child that's going to save everyone. And then he disappeared. He was declared heretic by the church. And now he's trying to figure out his way in the world, which is kind of how he kind of got tied in with the rest of the group uh, and the gang. Um, so uh, other things I looked at, like I said, I wanted kind of the, wisdom and, and intelligence not very high so that he's kind of this gobbled person and then the dexterity it's always great to have a high armor class uh, and then the class I picked was a sorcerer uh, with the divine so 
once again, he's kind of born with this innate power. So once again, he thinks it's godly. And all his spells and cantrips all have to do with healing people or protecting them or blessing them. So I can see him helping a lot in a, a fight as being a sport character. Um, so that's kind of where I was going with this guy. So thanks. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, once again, this is a concept that you could have applied in a number of different uh, class areas, right? I mean, he could have been a, a paladin for sure. Uh, or maybe even, you know, a monk of some sort. I was visioning a monk earlier, but, I, you know, that's my character I just played last time. And I almost kind of wanted him not to be effective in combat a little bit, and, and that he stands and takes everybody. He's more of a support thing. So Yeah, yeah, no, he's a really solid support character. It's interesting, too, that you basically, you made a, you know, the uh, a sorcerer or a cleric. <laughs> <laughs> I have the best of both worlds and, and, and a character I usually don't use much with spell casting, so now I have to look at all the spells every every level. So you min-max the, the, the best of both worlds, Jim? Well, more of the yeah, in the in the casting, I guess. I don't know enough about Yeah, casting. to be fair, his his spell, you know, selection is very very tipped in, in one direction there. He definitely, you know, went with a lot of cleric stuff, so um, but uh, yeah, but you can also like change those spells every level. So, right? Maybe as he gets more older and cynical, they become fireball and magic. Right. Mystery. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so forget about this. Blow <laughs> you all up. <laughs> okay. okay so, nice. fun evolution to watch. <laughs> so once again, nice work, Chad. Uh, so my for my second character, uh, so I really wanted a, uh, a, like a strong magic character for, for my second character, primary caster, and and uh, I was definitely thinking uh, of a wizard, um, and ba basically because the concept of the character I saw him as being this kind of obsessive magical collector, you know, I I really thought of him as a scavenger, right? He's like out there. He were in this very kind of diverse cultural environment with all these different traditions of magic kind of coming together in this, you know, immigrant melting pot. And my guy is, is out there trying to, you know, get as much, his hands on as much of it as he possibly can, right? So, so yeah, so the direction that I thought of was wizard, I think it, it matches the, the concept. Um, but I think I also like wizard better than some of the other spell casting classes uh, in, in terms of the arcane classes anyway. The, um, uh, I think it has a little more versatility than the sorcerer and, and the, um, the warlock, and I'm definitely drawn to that kind of that aspect as a player. So wizard, um, it probably could have also been an artificer, but I, I just don't know much about the 13th class. Um, so uh, I went with something I'm a little more comfortable and familiar with. Um, so then I wanted him to be either a hobgoblin or a tiefling because from you know based on Al's campaign description I wanted him to be a member of the elite you know um, either kind of the noble elite or the military elite you know definitely a cut above and then kind of fallen right to the uh, been cast out of the of the kind of the promised land uh, so a really you know solid reject character uh, so 
I went, I decided to go with the Hobgoblin because the idea of kind of the more, um, more working class reject, you know, appealed to me more than the, the fancy noble reject. So, so my guy is really like this, um, this, this character who, who very strongly does not get along with other people um, of any race uh, and is really very kind of self-serving and, and uh, um, obsessed with uh, accumulating magic. So um, let me share my screen. Did you figure out why you had a falling out? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of more of a willing departure. I mean, the more I thought about it, I think he's, he's, he's kind of like, you know, he, he's this hobgoblin. He goes to like hobgoblin military wizard school or whatever. Uh, hobgoblins have a very kind of militant spellcaster tradition, right? Um, and he's just like, okay, well, I know magic now. I don't really need the military. Um, and so he's, you know, there's, there's like self-sabotage that occurs basically. He's kind of one of those people that just can't help but be a jerk, right? He's just like, even when it's he knows it's 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 self defeating, he just he can't help it. Uh, so here he is. Uh, here's Vic the Vulture, um, my uh, hobgoblin wizard. I gave him the sage background because I figured you know he would be studying magic in hobgoblin battle wizard school. Um, and I made him. I you know I put. Uh, intelligence and constitution is my highest scores. Uh, one of the nice things about like thinking of either, either a tiefling wizard or a hobgoblin wizard is they both really make good wizards. I mean, it, it, it was a good fit, right, for the, for the campaign world and, and, and my goals there. So, um, so Vic gets a, a racial bonus from being a hobgoblin in constitution and intelligence, uh, which is great. So, so he's got the high constitution and intelligence and then um, charisma, of course, as I said, is his, his lowest uh, stat. He's just an unlikable guy. <laughs> um, as you can see in my, um, my comments up here, you know, he's uh, defensive and crabby, self-centered, generally unpleasant. Very ambitious and, you know, his kind of uh, um, explanation for being, you know, associated with a gang is that he, he needs someone to protect him while he... Sure goes around and scavenging for magic and in return, you know, he uses his magic to those folks' benefits. So it's a very transaction transactional relationship. Um, okay, so one of the cool things uh, about hobgoblins is they they start with proficiency in uh, two martial weapons. <laughs> a mall. So I hate Vic a mall. Right? Because I because, you know, I think that he would take, like, you know, the, the most kind of intimidating weapon he could think of, you know, because he wants people to back off. Uh, plus, it has, it's functional, too, right? I mean, you can use a maul to, like, break up stone or whatever if you're trying to excavate, you know, magical treasure from a building or whatever. So, figured, you know, Vic would see the utility of, of the maul. Um I took Longbow as my other because it seemed like, you know, the most practical missile weapon that he could possibly have. Uh, and uh, then when it came to uh, my skills, and I, I just realized I didn't talk about this with my other character, but um, I just kind of went with a standard, you know, he gets the arcana and history from his background and then insight and investigation seemed like the most useful skills for a scavenger. Um, 
let's see. And then as far as spells go, you can see I went with uh, Mage Hand, uh, True Strike, and Firebolt. Figured, you know, the Mage Hand would definitely be a, the kind of utility spell that Vic would appreciate. And then because of his kind of militant background, I thought that he would probably have these other two attack spells. Um, and then uh, for his, you know, the, the starting spells in the spell book, um, I got Find Familiar, which of course is fantastic, right? If you can ever have the opportunity to get Find Familiar, you know, whether you're, you are a wizard or you um, want to get it through, you know, some maybe a feat or through, uh, you know, being a ritual caster, like being a warlock with the, the Book of Shadows, you know, invocation. There's other ways to get it other than being a wizard, and if you can do it, then I highly recommend it. Because having a familiar is not only great role-playing flavor, um, but a familiar just has boundless uses from giving you the um, the help action in combat uh, for all you practical min-maxers out there, um, to uh, just to doing scouting, um, you know, to being a, a guardian. Uh, you know, a, a century of, of sorts. It's it's just familiars are awesome. So my uh, so Vic's familiar is Sniffles the rat, which uh, I realized after seeing Chad's character that Sniffles is probably going to be in jeopardy through most. Of <laughs> I like all rats. <laughs> and then I went with kind of a, a a mix of kind of you know detection and divination magic. You can see I picked detect magic and identify which were spells that obviously a magical scavenger is going to have. And then uh, a little bit of attack. Once again, Tasha's hideous laughter. I just, you know, couldn't resist that. And chromatic orb, um, which is, I think, one of the better, you know, first level attack spells because you're able to, flexible. yeah, to, to make it into different types of energy damage. Um, and combined with true strike, I think it would be really effective. So, uh, okay, so... Uh, that is, let's see if there's anything else to say. Oh yeah, so so I, and I didn't talk about this with Quintilius, and let me just quickly say that I can I can see Q being a lore bard pretty much. I thought about, I think some of the other, like, uh, you know, subclasses would work with him, but I, I, I feel like lore is really where he's headed. And the same thing with Vic, I, I, I see him going in, in one of one of two directions, either kind of embracing his his training, right, and doing the um, the battle magic um, school, or going to divination because of all of the you know detection magic and and you know using his focus on finding things as a scavenger. So I could see him going in either direction. Basically, you know, I think I'd play him for a little while and see. You know how how the campaign is going and, and where I'd want to go, but uh, diviners are are extremely powerful. They have a this this ability that's almost kind of game bending, um, and uh, so uh, that is very tempting. Uh, okay, so that's all I have to say about Vic. Mike, do you want to talk about your next character? Yeah. So um, so I owe I owe credit to. To Mark, because um, as we were kind of discussing the broad strokes of the various characters um, with Chad's golden child uh, character, and and the fact that both Mark and Chad were were creating uh, caster types, um, I thought it would be good to have um, someone who could be a little bit more melee. 
um, and um, could accompany the golden child as a protector. Um, but as we've discussed in previous episodes, I'm not a necessarily a play with the party type player. Um, so of course, you know, I'm not going to just be, you know, attending Chad's character as some kind of servant type. So I was thinking, of, uh, how, how would this play out? So, um, so I, let me bring my character sheet up here, decided to create a character called Brother Shameless, who is a monk. Um, so, um, so again, thinking about refugees, okay, he's going to be a displaced person. Um, I decided for the background, he was going to be um, a fearbold race, which is a giant type um, who, you know, lives uh, deep in the mountains of the woods. And um, because we have the background of war between nations, figured that he got displaced because his, his, his forest got burnt down by, you know, engaging um, you know, forces. So, of course, he has a, a rampant uh, animus against humanity. Um, and um, and would have at a young age been um, uh, found and taken care of by monks. So he he has a an obligation um, as as part of that organization, um, but um, is terribly despondent about um, what's happened to his own family. Um, so is uh, both uh, both a melee type, likes to thump things, um, and likes to drink a lot. Um, so, um, so that opens up the opportunity later on to do a drunken master type um, uh, thing. And um, the, the hook with uh, Chad and the rest of the company is he's been ordered for reasons that are unbeknownst to him by his abbot to, uh, to, to accompany the, the golden child. And he's very unhappy about it. So, uh, so to that end, again, as a melee type um, and as a monk, so as a monk, I wanted to put my highest stat in wisdom closely followed by dexterity, um, because for a monk, as opposed to strength, dexterity actually plays a larger role in combat. But then my uh, con and, and strength uh, follows my third two stats, uh, and then intelligence uh, as, as the fifth, and then obviously, because I don't give a damn about what anybody thinks about me, um, charisma is my, is my bottom score. So, um, so for, uh, for melee weapons, quarterstaff, um, two-handed, um, or alternatively, unarmed strike. Um, I've got darts for, um, uh, for ranged combat. Um, the monk doesn't get a lot of skills to begin with, um, but I decided to pick uh, acrobatics uh, survival because, um, because he lived outdoors for so long. Um, uh, stealth, um, you know, again, because of the high dexterity. Um, and... Uh, so, and I get a couple of spell-like abilities, detect magic, disguise self. Um, so again, those are, those are good for, um, for when you're doing a protection type detail. Um, so, but again, Mark kind of put me on the road to, to thinking about a monk, so tip of the cap to Mark. Um, and again, that kind of shows how um, everyone kind of riffs off of one another. And again, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, necessarily a strong character collaboration, but knowing kind of the direction that others were going, you know, we can, you know, uh, you know, kind of play off of that and, and um, get some kind of, you know, party balance. Again, like I said, for me, it's going to be the melee and unusually I'm actually going to be at the forefront, but that's okay because I'm crusty and, and want to beat a lot of things up. So, so it fits well with the character. 
So with that, uh, questions for me or on to Al? I think I know. <laughs> Brilliant. Covered it all, Mike. All right, Al. All right, so my last character, yeah, we decided to, uh, we had talked about in our planning session about how much we like the lizard man, or specifically lizard folk, uh, to get away from assuming all lizard folk are male. And I decided that uh, I was going to take up that particular challenge and do a lizard folk. And I also decided that I was also going to do the poor sister of all of D&D. And I decided to do the Beastmaster Ranger, which we're not there yet, but uh, I'm going to tackle it. Oh, no. It's, yeah, it's like Alice tried to cause us pain. <laughs> all right. So, Beastmaster Ranger. So, Sharkashik, uh, who goes by the nickname Shark. Uh, is a first-level ranger. You know I'm going to be calling you Sharknado the whole campaign. That's great. I love Sharknado in a terrible, awful way. Um, Good old name, Mr. Hick. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the I went with the Outlander background. He's an outdoorsman uh, all the way through. Again, lizard folk and uh, neutral alignment, just because that always seems to go along with the, uh, the lizard folk perspective. They're a little weird and a little alien and always kind of watching from the outside. So for stats, uh, strength, I decided to go with a more uh, melee-based uh, ranger. So strength is uh, gonna be my big combat stat. I went with uh, constitution, uh, being a high stat too, since the uh, lizard uh, lizard folk do get a, a bonus to that. Uh, Dex is all right. Intelligence, not so much. Uh, and charisma being the dumb stat in this case. Uh, he's he's strange and alien and doesn't get along with others. So uh, let's see. Uh, for skills, uh, he's got a pile of skills. That's another one of the advantages of the lizard folk. You get two skills off the uh, outdoorsy list. So I went with animal handling, athletics, insight, nature, perception, stealth, and survival. So I've got pretty much the, the whole ranger, uh, range of skills. Then as far as personality traits, I stole one from the out the uh, Outlander list, so I have a lesson for every situation drawn from observing nature. So I'm going to be making a lot of uh, of bad comparisons, <laughs> and then <laughs> lots of analogies. Then I also stare at other sentient beings way too long for their comfort because I'm thinking about eating them. Then uh, glory as uh, the ideal again, going that uh, Klingon route. Then uh, for bonds, my family, clan, or tribe is the most important thing. And of course, the adventuring party will eventually be my new clan if I don't eat them. Yeah. And then I decided that he would have a bit of a weakness for the booze and other things. So uh, he's got a problem with drink. So we've got two 
drunkards in the group now, uh, which should be fun. So he's, um, he's like this this drunk, basically this drunken carnivorous Marlon Perkins. <laughs> yes, that's a good way of putting it. So uh, what was spear as the uh, main weapon and longbow as a backup? Uh, let's see, what with the pan pipes uh, for his uh, musical instrument, just because I, I don't know, I thought the idea of a Zamfir. Uh, oh, hey, problems. my monk took the pan pipes, so we can jam together. That's <laughs> right. It'd be a Zamfir Zam, nice. Zamfir Zam session. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm so, thinking like a Jethro Tull, like uh, uh, just go, yes. go off on the wind instrument. Yeah. Or like a Ron Burgundy jazz flute kind of thing. <laughs> All right. So uh, as far as abilities, uh, I've got, of course, all of the lizard folks' totally awesome uh, abilities. Uh, in particular, uh, Cunning Artisan is great role-playing fodder. Oh, yeah, uh, you awesome. make a tool or weapon or piece of armor out of a fallen foe. And that's just great. I, that's awesome. Uh, so that said, Hungry Jaws, my ability to take a bite out of somebody and heal a little bit from it. And then for the uh, for the Ranger, now uh, for those of you playing along at home who uh, have not had the experience of what's wrong with the Ranger yet, um, Wizard's kind of goofed with the original design of the Ranger. It's widely regarded by D&D players as the weakest class. And it is very specifically, it's not the entire Ranger that's the problem, it's the Beastmaster. Uh, the Beastmaster was just a poor design right from the beginning. And the first attempts to fix it, eh, they haven't gone terribly well. Um, so uh, the most recent attempt to fix the Ranger and to make the Ranger a little less specific to uh, a particular physical environment in the game uh, was made by Unearthed Arcana. They came out with a list of alternate class features. So I decided to give those a try because I really like the Ranger alternate uh, abilities. So uh, in place of the favored enemy ability, I took favored foe, which... Uh, <sighs> Again, for those of you who played 4th edition, you <laughs> might remember that the ranger got a hunter's mark ability in 4th edition, and this has been carried over into 5th. And uh, with favored foe, you get uh, hunter's mark as a, as a class ability right at first level. I uh, can't cast regular spells yet, but I can cast uh, hunter's mark, which is nice. And then the other issue is uh, the Deft Explorer class feature replaced uh, I can't remember what it's called but it's pretty much an environmental favorite uh, terrain. terrain ability and uh, the replacement gives you a choice of three different options you can get additional skills and uh, there's an I can't remember what the other one is but I went with roving and the roving feature uh, attached to that uh, alternate class ability. It increases your movement speed, which is why my movement speed is 35 rather than 30. And it also gives you a climb speed and gives you a swim speed. Now the swim speed is not as cool 
uh, because uh, I'm a lizard uh, folk. I already get swimming, but I get a climb speed, which means I don't have to make climb rolls. I just climb. Yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, that's one of the features that uh, makes the, the tabaxi uh, so interesting, too. Uh, again, that automatic climb. Used, it can be used and exploited in a wide variety of terrible ways. Uh, and then as far as equipment, I just went with basic explorer's pack, spear, dagger, shield. Uh, for armor, I'm relying a lot on the... Uh, uh, the lizard folks natural armor uh combine that with a shield and there you go ac16 which isn't bad all right and i think that is it for shark so mark let me pass things back over to you well before before we get into the next bit once again let us sing the praises of the lizard folk Woo! Um, uh, so al could have Al could have succeeded as a lizard folk in so many other classes as well. Um, that that bonus to constitution and wisdom and all of those crazy awesome supporting abilities. Just, I mean, he a lizard folk would make a great rogue, a great um, a great druid. Succeed in so many classes. It's awesome. Um, okay, but enough praise for the lizard folk. Uh, so, the lizard boat. so, so you can see, uh, you know, we only made eight characters here, so uh, we we left out uh, a few classes um, that that didn't get picked, and uh, um, and those are the sorcerer, uh, the fighter. Oh, I did the sorcerer. It's just the. Uh, oh no, the I'm warlock. sorry. The warlock. Yeah. The warlock and the fighter and the barbarian. And what else am I? Oh, the cleric. Well, and the artificer, but you kind of mentioned that one. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, so, um, so those classes I think could have been maybe utilized in some of these character ideas. I mean, it's it's very possible that um, that uh, uh, Chad, for instance, with Goblin, he could have gone, you know, more of a, a cleric. You know, maybe having him, you know, kind of worship some sewer deity right <laughs> good Hulu of the sewers <laughs> right um uh you know or uh al you know if he if he didn't want to skew uh too heavily in the direction that we knew he was going to skew anyway that he could have maybe gone with a fighter for his his regard he could you know oh, yeah. just just as easily he just wouldn't get class features that support it um and uh, and so forth. Uh, there's uh, like you know I mentioned when I was talking about Vic how he could he would probably make a good artificer as well. Someone specifically looking for devices and creating devices out of magic that he found. Um, the warlock. I don't know if any of our concepts really fit too well in the warlock class. You warlock could, is you could kinda... do um, you could do uh, the golden child as a warlock. It would just be like a kind celestial of, it'd be kind of warped yeah uh, uh, and and with the way that Chad is role-playing him i don't know if that would really work the hex warlock uh the hex blade i mean that could be almost any kind of fighter again you oh could that's have... that's true the um the hex blade would work i think particularly well with the uh, careless whisper i think mm -hmm. you know, yeah 
Yeah, it's just I've already got a character in another campaign that that's already doing the hex blade. Yeah. So yeah, and I like that she went with a rogue, Mike. I think it that you know you haven't played a, a rogue yet. Nope. In our in our fifth edition uh, gaming, and and I think the class will suit you quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Uh, just remember to always use your bonus action. Yes, always. <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking about that in the context always of always be bonus because I wanted um, my cantrip to be instantaneous. So I there were there were other cantrips that I thought would actually fit the character concept a little better, but they would require a full action. So um, as opposed to the green flame blade that that is an instantaneous. So and goes or you can combine it with your melee action. Yeah, and I think uh, rounding it all out, I think the barbarian maybe could have fit. In the, I mean, Al, you might have gone. You could probably could have gone with a oh yeah. Raging, yeah, raging, angry barbarian, and and the, you know, Mike's monk, I guess, could have been. Yeah, I was gonna say that could have. It could have totally been a barbarian. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've never played a monk before, so I was like, ah, let's do a monk. Barbarians, I think, are are are, you know, classes that are just kind of. I mean, it, it, it uh, especially when you're first kind of learning to play, I think it's a fun class because you just kind of pull the trigger and let loose to rage. <laughs> just go into a rage and that's off you go. Um, so that's that's always a good time. Uh, so yeah, I think that covers all the all of those classes. Um, well, a note about the cleric, though, um, because my campaign world has a um, a very strong religious hierarchy in it. It's actually better that all of the religious characters in the group are, they're all the weird outsidery religious characters that the either the accidental ones or the more violent ones or uh they're the they're the misfit toys of the religious world which of course the established hierarchy can look down on and harass even more so that fits really nicely with the outsiders nature of the game yeah i mean even even the golden child who has these these kind of specific divine powers i mean like you know that the, the uh, um, that doesn't necessarily you don't necessarily need to specify where that comes from, you know when you are the the divine soul cleric, right? Um, I mean divine soul sorcerer. So well, isn't, um, it, isn't the the mechanic you you have, you don't actually get spells from your deity at low level anyway? So that was a uh i think it was second edition where they yeah about first yeah or second edition i've always liked the idea that uh clerics could get cleric spells from just their own fervent belief in something <laughs> but uh yeah but yeah so anyway that so he doesn't even have to establish where that where that i mean it could be something some kind of mystery that's that's yeah i was just saying out. that could be part of a character mm-hmm. you're on a journey to find out you know what what the source of your faith powers are be a kind of a cool i have faith in myself and that's all the power i need so you're you're a, you're a humanist <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we are the ones that we are waiting for yes stretch <laughs> role play wise for you chad a lot of those pithy little sayings like uh you know i saw many ants take down a big beetle so together i think, I think if you start beetle. cribbing from tony robbins Right. I'll see omens in anything when we when we go about our business. <laughs> so one of the uh, 
so to get us back on track here, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I thought would be pretty cool is if we looked at this group of eight characters that we, you know, that we have created now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we just did a, a couple episodes. We talked about party composition and putting a group together. So I was thinking it might be fun to uh, make two sample parties out of this group of, of eight characters. Um, and uh, my, I think my iteration would be um, in one group, we would have uh, the golden child and Q um, and uh, brother Shameless. Right. And uh, probably. I think either of all would work. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd probably go with the Durgar just because, just because then the, um, the, everyone else in the other party would be stealthy. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking the lizard folk would be fun with Goblin because Goblin would probably look up to him as a, like, oh, this is what I'll grow up into. That's perfect. Um, is the first, well, we got, yeah, we got two fighters, two casters in the first group, kind of. And the second would be well, kind of the same thing. You got the bard and the thief with the two fighters. Yeah, goblin's nice. So it would be so it would be the so it would be the paladin, the bard, the sorcerer, and the monk in one group, right? Yeah. And then it would be the the wizard, the druid, um, the ranger, and the rogue in the other group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a fun party. Yeah. I mean, they're both because like the one group, I think with the exception of Al's Duragar character, who's kind of like the foil in that group. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. He's, yeah. he's like, he's, he's the, the others will be all, you know, I'll be into the kind of being a more kind of diplomatic do-gooder group where the, the other group is definitely uh, a somewhat amoral and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> under shady <laughs> right, right yeah well and, you know we uh, have the light the light side and the dark side uh yeah. parties but there's other directions that you could go in too i mean you could try to formulate kind of the uh you know two parties that kind of stand up the best kind of tactically right you could kind of go in that direction too i don't know i'm curious as to what you guys would do well I think the rogue the rogue could do could go in any direction because if, if he wants to go more melee he could do that if he wants to do more stealth could do that you know hard and soft power you know uh, so i think he could go i think he probably can blend in with any group really yeah yeah that was one division i was thinking about blending in because there's some that look like humans like the asimar and i think a lot of our characters have the disguise spell mm -hmm. uh, so if we wanted to do one mission where we're infiltrating, maybe we'd look at those characters. Yeah, uh, Shameless has uh, Disguise Self, yep. which is one of the nice little... Well, and I think I've got, you said, Al, I had a racial ability where I can change my size, although he's a giant class, and definitely yeah. go either way. I did like the Goblin, because he, he acts as both frontline and backline, depending on, you know, he's got some spells and some attacks. Yeah, yeah Druids, nice. Druids are awesome, yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, because of wild shape, you can essentially be a, be a tank as a druid, too, if you want to. You know, every time you, you change into an animal, you're basically... Yeah, shape of a tree. Extra hit points. And yeah, uh, uh, druids, especially the, the uh, you know, the wild shape circle, the circle of the moon, 
um, they they make fantastic you know combatants. Yeah, they start at a crit level higher. I think uh, it's a second level. They pretty much can be like a rat, and then at third level they can be a giant rat. Um, it's not till fourth that you can kind of turn into a giant alligator in the sewer. You know, so. it occurs to me the one thing I didn't think about, but you know, I given the environment, I didn't even think about like I don't even know if Al would let me do it playing an undead. Uh, there are a few options for undead characters now. Um, Revenants, aren't there? Uh, there's the Revenant. Well, actually, I don't remember. I think the Revenants uh, got developed for 5th edition, too. Yeah, I would, um, totally play, I would totally play a Lich who, like, somehow got blasted <laughs> back to first level and just it has this complete <laughs> megalomaniac personality and speaks of himself in, in, in the third person. And what would you, what, where would you, your sacred heart hiding place be? Would it be like as a first level character, like a little locket around your? <laughs> Ooh, that's fine. I'd hey, probably hey. have it be like a little My Little Pony doll. That, uh, <laughs> a backpack. Literally, it got. You see, you, this is to be that dichotomy. It got found by some girl in the magical graveyard, and and yeah. you know, and, and so. I'm I'm forced to like you know go around with this this three year old human um, all the time. That would be fun. She'd be holding your hand and you lead her around. Uh, anyway, what a shoulda coulda. <laughs> there was I don't know if it was a druid or some class maybe a ranger that um, was kind of undead or it seemed like he was undead and he, he didn't work well with humans but he like would talk to the dead people as. Do you remember that one, Al? I I don't remember off the top of my head. There is a uh, Unearthed Arcana did a rogue uh, subclass that uh, was a uh, was a a, a, uh, a rogue who had been killed and had come back. Hmm. So that's a that that would be a possibility too. Uh, and. Again, there there have been multiple attempts in previous editions to try to to create undead characters as a balanced thing. So I think we could I think we could probably pull it off. Well, if we make up if we make up a third character, <laughs> or if one of your guys gets killed, <laughs> you can always do the undead thing right there. Imagine that. <laughs> well and that actually but that does bring up a good point one of the things that we were talking about uh uh earlier on was uh, how uh sometimes it is a good idea to roll up multiple characters at the beginning of a campaign uh there's there's numerous advantages uh to it i mean you can get um you know kind of maybe tired of playing the one character and you want to do something else um you know, you can do kind of what we were just talking about and create these two kind of fundamentally different groups that kind of engage in different types of, of activities. Um, but you can also uh, have insurance in case, you know, one of your characters gets killed. And um, there are actual uh, numerous campaigns. Uh, we were talking about Ravenloft uh, and uh, Dark Sun, both introduced in the second edition of D&D. Uh, that encouraged you to do this because it was supposed to be kind of a high fatality campaign setting um, and just didn't want to slow down the game with someone having to roll up a new character. Um, In uh, Dark Sun, there was also a uh, mechanic for uh, leveling your characters. 
too, uh, when you had a, char a character pool and when one of your characters would go up in level, you could pick one of your other characters to go up as no. well. This is back in the days before like milestone uh, experience and stuff like that. Oh, um, another thing uh, that I like uh, doing a big pool of characters. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to do it yet, but it's an idea that I've had kicked, I, I've been kicking around for a while. At some point, I want to do a true ensemble game where we create a bunch of characters at the beginning, but nobody owns them. Ooh, ah, so cool. what would happen then is you pretty much create your characters as a group. So you've got your cast that you create at the beginning. And then at the beginning of every session, somebody plays somebody in the cast to play. Yeah, and I, uh, to do that, you have to have characters who are really distinctive and are easy enough. Like everyone can do a bad Southern accent, for example, or something like that, where you can create a character hook that, that everybody can play. But again, I haven't quite gotten around to that yet. I wanted to do that with my, with my college group right now, but uh, they're a little inexperienced. So they kind of need to get attached to their characters in a more old fashioned way. And at some point we'll do the, we'll do the yeah. ensemble. I did a game once with another guy and we, we took turns being DM for like a stretch of adventures and we played the same character, right? So nice. So, uh, you know, when I was DMing, he would play the character and when, when uh, we tried very hard not to show favoritism to that character, but I <laughs> definitely saw that that bled through, I think, yeah. um, despite our best efforts. But well, yeah, that was that was really fun to see someone else because I, I was the one who started, you know, with the character I, I created him and, uh, um, you know, the other the other DM just kind of you know, needed a break from DMing. So I was like, okay, I'll step in and, you know, you can just play, play my necromancer. And it was interesting, you know, someone else interpret your character. Yeah. And I have to say that Lee did a fantastic job. You, you definitely stayed true to the spirit. Um, but it, 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 you became this kind of amalgam of both of our role-playing, right? Kind of Lee played in a particular way and I would take things that Lee did that I liked and apply them when I was playing, you know, it was, it was really cool. And I and I I'd love to see, you know, kind of what you described as kind of further application of that, so that all of these characters become the the amalgamation of, of our yeah. group role playing. They yeah. probably all become like the same character. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably do it. Probably, uh, I'd probably this, try doing this it. Crazy, power hungry, utilitarian battle guy. Oh. <laughs> 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 my harpoon gun. Uh, <laughs> I uh, want to do it with an easier game system than uh, than D and D, though. Uh, so uh, the learning curve for the characters isn't quite as high. I might do it with like in the index card RPG, or there's a couple hacks for uh, Dungeon World that are really nice. They're really stripped down and and really kind of fun. There's there's one that's uh, based on Warhammer, that Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, the Streets of Marienburg, which is like a fan hack that was done, which is exquisite. It, it, it's, it looks really good and super easy. So Al, why don't you uh, go ahead and uh, tell everyone about what we're going to do in the next episode, because it's, it is the companion episode to this one.
So next time on Dungeons and Decisions, we are going to cover our role playing of these characters. So what are we going to do to actually bring these characters to life? And how are we, what kind of conflicts are we thinking of within the group? Uh, who's gonna get, who might get along and who might not as far as our characters go and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, and uh, you know, we've got a little bit of a hint of what these characters are like in this episode, but in, in the next one, we're really gonna try to expand upon those ideas and talk about specific things that that we would do with those characters like maybe involving their abilities or uh, their appearance or or other ways um that we might bring these characters to life um and uh hopefully kind of give you inspiration on how to do the same in your game um and uh you know who knows where we're going to go with this after two episodes with these characters al may kind of miyagi us into actually playing a game with these guys which i think was his intention all along <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the only way to find out is to keep tuning in so uh we'll see you uh next time on dungeons and decisions bye bye <laughs>